We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like you to if, invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and go with me into the New Testament and uh, open to the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter number 24. We'll begin reading in verse number 36, Luke chapter 24 and verse number 36. The word of God says to us, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. I'd like for you to note that expression in verse number 48, ye are witnesses of these things. In Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, has appeared unto his disciples. <clears throat> we know that the Lord walked among them for 40 days after his resurrection. And this record that we read of in Luke 24 records for us one of his very first appearances with his disciples as he appeared to them. And when he appeared to them, they were startled. They were not sure it was literally him or if they were seeing a vision. And so he said to them, give me something to eat. And so they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and honeycomb and he ate it thus proving the Lord's bodily resurrection. He's speaking to them to convince them that he had arisen from the dead. And then explaining to them 
what he had tried to teach them from the beginning of his earthly life and ministry, that he was going to the cross. And they, though he had told them many times that the Son of Man would die, that he would give his life <clears throat> as a ransom for many, they did not understand that. Then, having experienced what was in their hearts and minds, it would have been in any of our hearts and minds, the great disappointment of his betrayal and arrest, his crucifixion and his death. And now the Lord in his resurrection body has appeared to them to explain to them why it was necessary that he died. You see, they were looking for a political savior. They were looking for a kingdom builder. They did not understand that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, that he came to do the work of redemption, and that work required the sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary for our sin. And through that sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. We pass from death unto life. We have something far greater than an earthly kingdom. We have an eternal kingdom because our eternal king provided the way of salvation for us. That many in this world and many in our nation would take a political savior. But let me ask you a question. What good would a political savior do us at the end of our days? Certainly we would enjoy freedom and prosperity during our earthly life. We would all like to see that happen but if we all died and went to a devil's hell for all eternity, what good would it have been? You see, Jesus came to meet the greatest needs of humanity. And the greatest need of humanity is the need for the salvation of the soul, our redemption from sin. And the Lord Jesus here is meeting with his disciples and he's beginning to explain this to them yet again. And notice what the Bible said in verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. They were beginning now to discover the purpose for which he had come. To save that which was lost. And the Lord Jesus said in verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Well, that work had been done. But notice what work remained in verse 47. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So though Christ had fulfilled the work of redemption, there was still work to be done. And that work was to be done by the apostles. And that work was to be done by his church. To declare his name. To preach the message of repentance and remission among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, notice then the phrase in verse 48, and ye are witnesses of these things. The people who can proclaim this message are the people who have lived and experienced this message. And so I want to speak to you this, this evening on this thought, four, compel four compelling reasons to witness to the lost. Four compelling reasons to witness to the lost. And I want us to note some things. 
First of all, I want you to see the first reason is the command of Christ. The command of Christ compels us to witness. The command of Christ compels us to witness. That word compel means moves us to action. We are moved to action. We are moved to witness because of the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the command that he has given us. That command was given here in Luke chapter 24 and verse 48. Ye are witnesses of these things. And as witnesses, people who have experienced the grace of God and the salvation of the Lord, those who know him as Savior, have been given the responsibility and received the command to tell the world about him. So he has commissioned us to be his witnesses. I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in John chapter 14. John chapter number 14 and verse number 15. In John chapter number 14 and verse number 15, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, If ye love me, keep my commandments. I think of the words that come in, or the conversation really that comes in the close of this gospel according to John, when Jesus met with Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Remember he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter finally said, Lord, you, you know all things. You, you know I love you. And Jesus said, if you love me, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You see, Peter, if you love me, then you, there's a work for you to do. And Jesus says here in John 14 and verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. So therefore, we find a, a direct correlation between our obedience to Christ's command and our love for Christ. And if we truly love Jesus, then the Word of God tells us that we will be obedient to His commandments. Look, if you would, please, in verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And so we find here that if we love the Lord Jesus, we are going to desire to keep his commandments. You know, if you love someone, then you love what's important to them. Because you love them, you love what is important to them. I'm trying to take an interest as a father in the things that my children have taken an interest in. Why do I do that? Because I love my kids. I love them, and therefore I'm interested in what they're interested in. As a husband, I want to be interested in what my wife is interested in. I'm very fortunate, very blessed to have a wife who's not very demanding. She doesn't need a lot of things. She doesn't require a lot of things. In fact, she really requires few things, and you can tell that because of who she settled for, right? 
Now, don't get too carried away here, all right? But the things that are important to her need to be important to me. And as people who love the Lord, who are the recipients of his love, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he what? First loved us. Because of his love to us, we then therefore love him. And if we love him, then we want to please him. And we will desire to do what is important to him. And what has he told us to do? Well, in this context, he's given us a command to be witnesses. So as we think about all that we, uh, all, all that we participate in as Christians, all, all that our life entails, all of our, our thinking and our mindset about how church life ought to be conducted, the things that upset us and the things that... Um, uh, that, that are important and significant to us in the context, in the framework of our church life, our Christian life. Are the things that matter most to Christ the things that matter most to us? And do we prioritize our lives in order to be obedient to Christ's command? So we find here that the number one reason that you and I should witness is because of the command of Christ. And his command compels us to witness. If we love him, I mean truly love him, then what's important to him will become important to us. And we will seek to be obedient to him. Now, I, I have some good news for you. The Lord has made some precious promises to us. For example, if you look in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18, we see this command as it is given first in order of the Gospels in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. In this occurrence, the Lord has gathered the multitude on the mount. And in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, the multitude of believers... Matthew 28, verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now note these next words, please. And lo, listen, consider, Think about this, understand this, and know this is true because this will help us, you and I, in 2024 to fulfill Christ's command. Lo, I am, would you say the next two words? With you. You see, as we go and witness for Christ as we go and tell our friends and neighbors and co-workers and loved ones about Jesus and what he's done for us, as we share our testimony, as we present the gospel, as we dispense gospel literature, as we give an invitation to people to come and attend the meetings of the church, as we go, the Lord goes with us. We have a partner. We're not alone. 
Well, that ought to encourage us, right? That ought to strengthen us, that he is going with us. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So his presence goes with us. Now look in Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And Jesus again, before his ascension, repeats this command. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We have a beginning place. That beginning place was in Jerusalem. And then the gospel was to be proclaimed in the regions beyond Jerusalem until the earth was covered with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But as we go, notice what he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Not only does his presence go with us, but his power enables us his power enables us the reason that many of us do not witness is because we do not believe or think that we're sufficient maybe we think we don't know enough of the bible we're wondering if we can explain the way of salvation we've convinced ourselves that we have to have a degree in theology before we can tell somebody about the Lord. Or we think, I'm not able, I can't speak, I, I'm going to mess up, I get nervous, I, I, I'm, I'm not smooth in, in presenting the gospel, I'm, I'm not eloquent. Well, we remember a man who thought that, right? His name was Moses. And what did the Lord say to him? He said, I'll be with your tongue. I'll give you power. What's that in your hand, Moses? It's a rod. He said, throw it down. And God demonstrated his power in the life of Moses. And the power of our message does not depend upon us. It depends upon him. And you see, as we go, as we're obedient to the Lord, he goes with us and his power enables us. So our excuses are eliminated, aren't they? And if we don't go, it's only because... We choose to disobey the Lord. If we don't tell people about the Lord, then it's a matter of disobedience. And if it's a matter of disobedience, then it's a question of love. And if we love the Lord, if we love the Lord, we'll keep his commandments. So number one, the reason we ought to witness is the command of Christ compels us to witness. Number two, the constraint of Christ's love compels us to witness. The constraint of Christ's love. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I referenced this a moment ago. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse number 14, and the Word of God tells us in these verses, for the love of Christ, would you say the next word? Constraineth us. That word means 
it holds us. We think of constraint, a constraint holds us. So the love of Christ holds us. We can't let go of it. It won't let go of us. And that love literally compels us, therefore. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So Paul is reasoning here with the Corinthian church, and he says it's the love of Christ that constraineth us. And we note that, or we judge, that if one died for all, that's Jesus, then we're all dead. So in other words, all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when he died, verse 15, he died for all of us. So all of us who know the Lord are people who at one time were dead. But Jesus died for us and gave us life. We experience the resurrection from the dead in the soul. The life of God was not in us. But the moment we received Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell within us, and we received the life of God. We received the eternal life. We who were dead passed from death into life. We became new creatures. We were born again. Do you remember that day when you were born again? Do you remember that there was an awakening in your soul that had not previously been there? Your sins were forgiven. The guilt and the shame was removed. The condemnation was gone. You had a purpose. You had a joy that you had never experienced before. That is because of the work of salvation. And as a recipient of that eternal life and the promises of God and the inheritance that he has given us in heaven, the apostle wrote in verse 15 that they which live, now we have life, should not henceforth live unto themselves. In other words, we need to recognize that God has given us life and the purpose of our life is not to please ourselves. We don't live for ourselves or according to our agenda or according to our desires or according to our comforts and our wishes and our plans, but we live rather unto the one who died for us Jesus Christ. Our life belongs to him. We are bought with a price. He has redeemed us. And the life that we have is the life of Christ in us and through us. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So therefore, as people who have life now, we understand that we're to give our lives in service and devotion to the Lord Jesus. So I want to think about our young people tonight as they're preparing for graduation and as they're thinking about their college, that they not be motivated simply by money or finances or career or comfort, but that they be motivated by the constraining love of Jesus Christ to surrender their life to do his will. 
Now, they may be business people. They may be uh, uh, superintendents at the factory. They may be uh, plumbers. They may be uh, preachers. They may be missionaries. They may be marketing executives. Whatever God has for them, that, that is up to him. But they need to understand that their life must be yielded to him. And as Christians, we must yield our lives to him. We're living unto him. And we see that God loves this world. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. And we were talking about this a moment ago. That when we love people, we want to find out what's important to them. Well, the world is mighty important to God because he created it. And then he's, he, he, he didn't lose the world, but Satan took the dominion of this world from man when man sinned in the garden. And Jesus, the Son of God, came to pay the price of redemption, to redeem us and this world back to God. So this work of redemption is important to God. And if we love the Lord, as we mentioned a moment ago, 1 John 4, 19, we love Him because He first loved us. If we love Him, then His love constrains us to witness to the lost. We can't just be content to be quiet. We can't be content to be consumed with self. We need to understand that God has set his affection upon this world. And as recipients of his affection, we love him. And therefore, we seek to witness to souls that Christ died for and Christ loves. So we see... Number one, the command of Christ compels us to witness. Number two, the constraint of Christ's love compels us to witness. Number three, the condition of the lost compels us to witness. I want you to think about unsaved people tonight. And I want you to ask yourself, how much time do I spend with unsaved people? How much time do I spend with them? Who are the people that I know that need Jesus? And what am I doing actively to get them to Jesus? Well, the, 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 the most effective thing we can do, of course, is to pray for them. And then to spend time with them. And to talk to them. To witness to them. To tell them about Jesus. And if we're not careful... We'll get so consumed with ourselves and our lives and even our church life and our Christian school life that we forget there's a world out here filled with people who are on their way to hell. Does that keep you up at night? Does that bother you? To think about people who will die without Christ and go to hell for all eternity. And to think that you and I have an opportunity to warn them, to talk to them, and to show them the way of salvation. In Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, the Word of God says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, the condition of the lost ought to compel us to witness. Notice that phrase, that which was lost. What a dreadful place to be in. 
I remember as a little boy, I've told this story before, uh, sometimes when my mom would go shopping, uh, especially if we went to the major department store of the day, Kmart. I would always wander off into the toy section. Did anybody do that with me? I mean, you didn't actually do it with me, but you were doing it. Yeah. And my mom, she would be over, you know, in, in, in some other section, and, and I would always find my way to the toy section. And after a while, I would notice there were people around me, and, and some of them frightened me, to be quite honest with you. You know, people can be frightening, right? And, uh, and I began to think, I, I don't know where my mom is. And I had this fear that somehow she would forget me. <laughs> it might be because she attempted to leave me there several times. I... <laughs> the last time the sheriff told her she couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> but I always had this fear that I'd be lost. I would start walking up and down the aisles, and I, I, I learned how to walk the grid of the store and look down the aisles and be able to see if I could find her, and I was always glad when I found my mom or my dad or my grandparents. I would go usually on Thursdays in the summer shopping with them, and uh, I had this fear that I would be lost. I think it's a natural fear, don't you? And we live in a world of people who are lost. That sheep that has gone astray, that coin that had fallen down into the floor and couldn't be found, that boy that was lost and went to the far country. It's a dreadful thing to be lost, isn't it? They're lost. The songwriter said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. What relief, what joy, what comfort to be found. But what stress, what turmoil, what despair to be lost. A world full of lost people who are perishing. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. He did not come to condemn them. They were already condemned. They were already perishing. Already on their way to hell. Already dead in their trespasses and sins perishing the outward man perisheth but the inward man is renewed day by day but the problem with the lost is there's no inward man just a perishing outward man heading for an eternity apart from God in a place called hell a place of torment a place of hopelessness and darkness a place of despair an eternal place of suffering, they're perishing. 
In John chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, all of us are sinners. We're all guilty. And as guilty sinners, we are condemned already. We have been found guilty. The gavel of God's justice has smitten the desk and the declaration has gone out guilty. We live in a world filled with guilty, condemned sinners, lost, perishing John 3 and verse 36, under the wrath of God. The Bible said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Lost sinners are under the wrath of God. God is angry with the wicked. He loves them, yes. He sent his Son to die for them. But because of their guilt, because of, uh, of, of their shame, because of the condemnation upon them, they are under the wrath of God. Then Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse number 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. There's that word again. You see, they're lost, but the gospel is hidden from them. How is the gospel hidden from them? Because he goes on to say, In whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Do you know why our world is out of order? Do you know why people act the way they do? Do you know why they're rioting in the streets and, and robbing the stores? And do you know why... Uh, they're assaulting people. Do, do you understand why? They're against uh, any normalcy and, and God-ordained institution of the family and marriage and the role of human sexuality as God has ordained for it to be. Do you know why this world is in such rebellion against God in those areas? It is because they're blind. It's because they don't see it. It's because they're in darkness and Satan has blinded them, lest they should believe, lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel. And what is our responsibility? It's to shine the light. It's to shine the light. And we can get a bunch of people together who have the light. And we do need to get together with others who have the light. But we also need to take that light into the dark world. And pray that God would open the understanding of the lost to receive the truth so that the scales would fall from their eyes and they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are they blinded by Satan, but they're dead in their sins. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And you, he says, Paul said as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, hath he quickened, that word quickened, remember what that word means. It means he's made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Those who do not know the Lord Jesus are dead. They have no spiritual life. The natural man, that's the unregenerate man, he cannot receive the things of God. He has no capacity to do so. He needs spiritual life in order to do it. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. And therefore, as a dead man, he lives as a dead man. 
with an appetite for deadly things. And then we see in Ephesians 2 and verse 12 that the lost are without hope. They're without hope. In Ephesians 2.12, the Word of God says that at that time, ye were, that's us before we got saved, we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There's no hope apart from Jesus. And there's no hope for a sinner who goes on in his rebellion against God. So what reasons do we have, you and I, you and I, what reasons do we find in the Word of God that compel us to witness? Well, the command of Christ compels us to witness. If we're going to be obedient to God, then we have to witness. Number two, the constraint of Christ's love compels us to witness. If we love Him, and that love fills us, then we're going to love the lost souls of this world, and we're going to take the message of the gospel to them. Then the condition of the lost compels us to witness. When we understand their destiny apart from Christ, it ought to stir us, it ought to disturb us, it ought to move us to action. It ought to create a compassion in us for lost souls. And then fourthly, I want to give you this. The conscience of the saved compels us to witness. The conscience of the saved compels us to witness. God has given us a conscience, and that conscience differentiates for us right and wrong. And Paul, in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 14, was speaking from the perspective of a conscience that was compelled to witness. Notice in Romans chapter 1 in verse 14, Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul could not live with his conscience if he did not tell lost people about Jesus. Because Paul said, I'm a debtor. I owe an obligation. I have a responsibility as a beneficiary of the gospel having received the forgiveness of my sin, having received eternal life, knowing Jesus as my Savior. Remember now, Saul, before he was named Paul, Saul was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus intervened and smote him with blindness, and a voice from heaven called out to him, and Saul was saved that day. What a supernatural conversion. By the way, every conversion is supernatural. Because God, by His Spirit, speaks to us individually and brings us to an awareness that we're lost and that He is willing to save. And then God draws us by His Holy Ghost and we call unto Him and we confess Him 
and we are made the children of God. It is a work of God. Salvation is of the Lord. We are recipients of God's grace. And having received that grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, having received that, we then become debtors. We can never repay God for what he has done for us. But because we received that grace, we have an obligation to those who have yet to receive it to tell them how they can receive it. Imagine we all had a dreadful disease. We don't have to think far to think about that, right? And there were four or five of us who got together and we said, look, we've discovered the cure for this disease. And we took the cure and we were healed and we were healthy, but the rest of us were not. Would we not then have an obligation to share that news with the remainder of the congregation? What kind of people would we be if we didn't do that? And you see, as beneficiaries of God's grace, as recipients of it, we have become debtors by nature the grace of God to bestow unto others the message of the gospel, to carry that message to them, to proclaim that to them, to tell them there is a cure. There's a healing agent. There is salvation in the Lord. There's a cure for what ails you. And so Paul said, I am debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. In other words, I have a responsibility to take the gospel to all people. And then he said, because I'm a debtor, in verse 15, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. I'm ready to tell you about this. May God help us to be ready. The Bible speaks of our feet being shod with the preparation, the readiness, the preparation of the gospel of peace. May God help us to prepare. May God help us to be ready. May God help us to be looking for opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. And then he said in verse 16, for I am not ashamed. Oh, what stops us? Fear, concern over our reputation, an unwillingness to bear the reproach of Christ, to be made fun of, to be ridiculed, to be persecuted in some form, that may stop us. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And may God help us to have boldness. By the way, when the church needed boldness, how did they get it? They prayed for it. It might be a good thing for you and I. If we don't have a desire to witness, we need to recognize something's wrong. And we need to start praying, God, spark that in me. Forgive me of my apathy. Forgive me of my indifference. Forgive me of my disobedience. And God, give me boldness. Give me boldness. Fill me with thy spirit and thy power. Give me such a burden and make me bold. Help me not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Help me to recognize that it alone is the power of God unto salvation. Well, we remember what happened to the lepers when they went to the camp of the Syrians. They had besieged the city of Samaria. People were dying. There was nothing for them to eat. They had cut off all the supplies. 
And these lepers, they couldn't have gone into the city anyway because they had leprosy. They were starving too. No food for them to eat. They depended on the generosity of the people in the city to feed them, but they were starving. And as a result, the lepers were starving. So the lepers decided to go to the camp of the Syrians, the enemies that had besieged the city of Samaria. They decided to go to them and see if maybe they would have compassion on them. And when they got there, they found the camp was empty because God had scattered the enemy. He had scared them. And those lepers could hardly believe their eyes. And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 8, And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried that silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. I mean, these guys were having a time. They hit the jackpot, did they not? They couldn't believe what was happening. And they were enjoying it. And they were consuming it for themselves. And then in verse number 9, they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. That's a statement that many of us as believers could make. This day is a day of good tidings. And what do we do? We hold our peace. We enjoy the fruits of salvation. We go from tent to tent. The silver and the gold, the promises of God are ours. But there are people inside the walls of the city who are starving and have nothing. So they said, we do not well. This is a day of good tidings. We hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, listen to this. If we tarry till the morning light, if we don't do something before the day is done, some mischief will come upon us. What smote them? Their conscience. What smote Paul? His conscience. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. May God help us to go and tell. Amen. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You just have to know Jesus. Do you know tonight that your sins are forgiven? You're on your way to heaven. Do you know the difference that God has made in your life? Oh, listen, you can tell somebody about that. You may not be able to debate them in all the points of uh, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. You, you may not be equipped to deal with that. But you don't have to be equipped to deal with that. You just need to know Jesus and be filled with the Holy Ghost. You just need to be obedient to him. And it's amazing. It's amazing because you'll have a partner who will go with you. His name is Jesus. And he will enable you. Don't be a debater. Don't debate people. Declare the message and leave it with them. And trust God. Four compelling reasons that you and I should witness. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.